This is the Lived Experience Project. I'm Witty and Nicola. For the past two years, I've been reading, watching, listening, and researching all things immigration reform. What I found, more or less, are all kinds of narratives, many of which have been left uninterpreted. Transcending the political to arrive at the personal, I take on the task of presenting these oral histories in a new way, a way, I hope, that will illuminate the profound human experience, instill hope, and ignite change. In every episode of the Lived Experience Project, we explore stories of what it means to be human. This season, we begin with what it means to be an undocumented immigrant. Are you there? Hey. Hey. Hey, Wed. Hi, buddy. I'm recording your call because okay. we do. We record everything. That's Nicole. In her late 20s, Nicole's a social worker, wife, and new mom. I remember clearly the details of our first meeting. Her office door was wide open, and with a huge smile on her face, she welcomed me in. After I sat down, I noticed all the community announcements posted on the wall behind her desk, and also noticed a faint bump on her stomach. It was her first kid, she told me. After some small talk about how beautiful the building was, I told her about myself and the work I was doing, but mostly I'd come to learn how I could help the undocumented immigrant community she worked with. As I got to know her better over time, our dialogue moved beyond just work stuff. We talked about the world and eventually our personal lives. As she held her baby during one of our meetings, Nicole began to tell me more specific details about her work with undocumented immigrants. The cost, she said, is personal, and she could only imagine what it must be like walking in their shoes. Here she is now. I, th- I mean, I imagine you come to this country thinking, okay, I'm going to do as much as I can, and then there's a point to where um, there are barriers, and it doesn't matter how hard we're it doesn't matter what kind of person you are, and um, it's just not available. And and that is just really hard to watch. Somebody who 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 can who can say, if I just could show how much I want to work hard and how um, and you know what a good person I am and and all the things that I've done right, then surely like there will be something um, something for me. And for the door to be not only shut but locked, it's just um, the injustice is just so blatant when you when you know the person and when you love the person, and when it's not just statistics anymore. It's like, oh wow, this person has a family, and this person is um, has responsibilities mm-hmm. to them, and, and this person is is not a, a criminal like they're portrayed. And, I became more intrigued by Nicole's story the more regularly we met. I wondered what inspired her to do the work she did, what led her to become a social worker, and specifically why she chose to work with undocumented immigrants. She seemed to know well how blatant the injustice is for them, in a way even, that seemed personal. Although she grew up in a large family and had a relatively, quote, normal upbringing, She'd later tell me she never experienced injustice firsthand, that she could only imagine what it'd be like. Eventually, though, she shared with me why the issue mattered so much to her on a more intimate level. 
You see, her husband, the father of the baby she was holding, is an undocumented immigrant himself. She shared with me that they'd met at work when she was still in high school, and later, when she was in college, they started dating. They were together for a while and eventually got married. Her husband, Mateo, told her about his status shortly after they began dating. The impact of what that meant didn't make much sense to her at the time until she heard this story. Here's Nicole. A couple months into our relationship where he was living with a friend, it was his day off and he was, lived, just had like a rented a room that they had in their basement. And he, I was at college so I wasn't there, but he looked outside and realized that ice was surrounding the property. And they came in and they um, put everybody down like on the ground or, or ha- put everybody in a room. And they asked everybody for their um, documents and uh, they asked if you have any documents and he's like, I prayed to God, what do I say? Do I lie? Do I tell the truth? Like, um, and he said, I do, they're downstairs. And he, they just ended up saying, okay, whatever, just go downstairs and um, never asked for it. And they ended up deporting I think, two or three people from the house. I asked her exactly why that story stuck in her mind. Here's what she told me. I just didn't understand before that the danger, like how real the fear was. Because, I mean, I I just didn't think that deportation really, I mean, I guess I didn't know that it really happened. Or I just didn't think like there really were risks. I think that was the first time that I saw the fear. And I didn't really, I guess I didn't recognize the fear of that before. And how every time he, you know, a cop stopped him, you know, or he got pulled over or he got, um, you know, just like drove by a police officer, there's just that fear. I think sometimes I still, like, I hesitate and then I, I just realize it all of a sudden, like, oh, he's, there's the fear. And um, like I say, like I just, I don't live with it on my mind constantly or I don't have that fear uh, embedded in me to when I see um, possibly dangerous situations that I would, you know, become fearful like he, he may. And, and now that we, you know, have lived together, married, have a child, I do see, I have become, I have been a witness to more of it. Nicole used the word fear six times as she tried to desperately paint a picture of how she made sense of her husband's reality. She seemed like she was grasping for words that didn't exist to try to explain the meaning of it all. She'd worked at an agency that provided services to undocumented immigrants before she met Mateo, but despite her training and direct practice working with undocumented immigrants, Nicole was unprepared for the reality of Mateo's ongoing experience of fear. Right from the start, our identity is a balance of tension, says psychiatrist Paul Verhege. We are torn between the urge to merge and the urge to distance ourselves from the other. In other words, because our human experience is a striving for both autonomy and separation from others, there's an inherent limit to solidarity and our ability to grasp another person's experience. Taken to extreme measures, autonomy and separation can lead to aggression beyond mere indifference and enmeshment. In Nicole's case, it's reasonable to expect that she might not be able to fully grasp her husband's experience. 
After all, she is a part of the dominant American culture, and until now, she's never had to worry about the dangers that come with being undocumented or separated from her family. In many ways, this same privilege blinds lots of people to the challenging lived experience of others, and it's not just the plight of the undocumented immigrant either. Privilege also blinds people to the lived experience of all those who are seemingly distant from ourselves. If Nicole does struggle with knowing what her husband's experience is like, it's reasonable to expect that those are the same mechanisms at work on larger social levels. Imagine, for example, how it is for Matteo to move through a culture that's not only unmotivated to try to understand his plight, but is equally rejecting. Extreme separation from a distant collective other is not new. In fact, through the evolutionary process of identity formation, the first human response to difference at the dawn of civilization was tribalism. My tribe against yours, my nation against yours, my God against yours. Over the centuries, tribalism has transmuted and become a process that's no longer used for survival, but for something completely different. These processes show themselves in modern society in a number of ways, from the inability between partners to fully grasp the other's experience to larger social phenomenons like xenophobia. This is why it makes sense that even though Nicole's as close as anyone can get to the experience, she still has to work at understanding it. Here she is explaining just how much of a challenge it is for her. When he gets frustrated and upset, I just, I almost feel like, ah, like, I feel that same, like, impotence, like, or what's the word? Like, I, when you can't do anything, you're just, like, I wish I could comfort him or say something to make it better. And, um, like, uh, yeah, I feel help, helpless. Helpless is the word. Because you, you, um, I know it in Spanish. <laughs> Impotencia. To not be able to change things, make them better, because I can't. It's, I feel almost like part of the problem. Um, I don't know why, uh, but I feel like I want to just make things better for my family, for my husband, and he can't do anything. Why couldn't Nicole help? I thought to myself. It was clear that she wanted to, but didn't seem to know how, let alone know the exact words to explain her own personal experience of things. The only thing she could do, legally anyway, was petition for an adjustment of status for Mateo, and even then, there were no certainties. An adjustment of status, I later learned, is a petition filed by a U.S. citizen married to an undocumented immigrant in order to adjust the unlawful status of that partner. But there is a misconception that all an undocumented immigrant has to do to gain legal status is marry a U.S. citizen. That isn't always the case. In fact, for someone like Mateo, who entered the U.S. unlawfully, meaning that he entered without having been inspected by a U.S. Customs and Border Protection officer, the application process could prove to be extremely challenging, if at all possible. Understanding the process itself is no easy task, either. It requires both money and lots of documentation. To get the full grasp of their story, it's important to try and understand where they're coming from. I'll do my best here to summarize this legalization process, and note, too, that I'll be using the legal term foreign national instead of undocumented immigrant. 
Generally, if the foreign national entered the U.S. legally, such as having entered on a student or worker's visa, the process is relatively cut and dry. The couple is required to complete an application, offer identity documents like proof of legal entry, passport, and birth certificate, as well as a marriage license and proof of financial support from the U.S. citizen who has to show that they're able to financially support the partner. That's just the first step. Once these supporting documents are collected, the foreign national has to go through a medical exam. Once that's completed, the application can then be submitted to the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services Office, or what's commonly referred to as USCIS for processing. After 30 days from that point, a biometrics appointment is made for the foreign national, meaning that fingerprints and a photo are taken along with a background check. Then, about 60 to 90 days after filing, a work permit and a travel document are issued to the foreign national. Four months after filing, the final interview is scheduled and is typically set at a local office where the applicants live. This interview is designed to determine whether the marriage between the two is, quote, valid or otherwise. Things like pictures, joint bank accounts, rental agreements in both people's names contribute to validating the marriage. If all goes well, a green card is mailed within two weeks. If not, there's a second interview scheduled. This is a ridiculously lengthy and tedious process. It's not easy at all. What makes it even more difficult for Nicole and her husband is that they have an added layer of stress. Because Mateo entered unlawfully, he loses certain important procedural rights like the ability to adjust his status. He doesn't have choice but to leave the U.S. and re-enter lawfully. What frightens Nicole, she tells me, is that the consulate could refuse his return depending on how long he's been in the U.S. By leaving, he risks being forbidden from returning for three to ten years, or permanently in some cases, a fact that they didn't learn until after they were married. That said, the one hope that Nicole is holding on to is what's called a provisional waiver. This waiver requires the applicants to prove that the denial of a return visa would cause extreme hardship on the U.S. citizen, not the immigrant. Here's Nicole. I think the worst would be getting denied and then just then... And then, okay, do we go back and then try to live a full life there and start over? And I mean, I don't know how we would financially support ourselves. I, I, I don't. I think that'd be possible. But the other option is if we get denied, he still lives this limbo life here. And there's no, there's, it, there's just, it's just despair. Because then there's no hope. The alternative is... It's not even the no. It's almost worse than to have to stay here and and live this life knowing that the only option you have. It's scary to think of what it would be. Like, how, how would it even... I mean, how... I think it would affect our marriage so much if, if the, this status, undocumented status, is how we would have to live. I just don't know how it wouldn't be hard. I don't know how... It, who it wouldn't be hard for. The longer Nicole talked about the risks of their situation and all the potential outcomes, the more noticeable her affect change became. She was quieter and less sure of things. Not surprisingly, moving to a foreign country, or at worse, imagining life without her husband, brought on a deep sense of despair. 
Although during our conversations, she regularly referred back to how easy it was for her to forget about her husband's experience, she seemed to have also forgotten that she was having her own unique experience, apart from his. To me, she entered her own category of what the lived, undocumented experience is. Because I've been interested in the undocumented immigration issue for years as a social worker, I thought, at least to some degree, that I was well-versed about the issue. Whether it's the dominant political discourse, ethical consideration, human rights issues, the global perspective, the myths, the facts, you name it, I thought I had a good grasp on its many layers. What I hadn't heard before, though, was this story. The story of the marriage between the illegal alien other and a native-born American. As Nicole continued to share details of their life together, it became more and more apparent why her story belonged in this series. Because the undocumented immigrant experience extends well beyond the immigrant himself. Although Nicole sounded optimistic during several of our conversations together, I also heard the desperation in her voice to change things for her husband. She wanted so badly for people to know him as a person who deserved to stay in the country, to be seen beyond the mere label. And that's one of the ironies in Nicole's story. If she has such a hard time even finding the words, how might a collective who views the undocumented immigrant as a distant other or criminal be able to connect? As Nicole held her baby in her arms at each visit, it became more and more evident to me that yet another person, right in front of my eyes, was trying to make himself heard. It was the profound coup of Nicole's baby that pointed clearly to the centrality of relationships in this debate. He called attention to family, to connection, to love. As the tangible manifestation of that love, he is a reminder that this debate is much deeper than economics and policy. He invites each of us to a quieter place where big words and ambitious rhetoric aren't needed, where debate is futile and polarization is vanity. Instead of all that, he speaks a human language, one that emphasizes a mother's love, a father's sacrifice, and the sacredness of a connection that goes beyond the words his mom had a hard time expressing. He connects his undocumented immigrant father and his natural-born citizen mother, which reveals how the undocumented immigrant cannot be the complete and absolute other. In a way, the coup is a beckoning back of sorts, to what's really important, and to what's important to all of us, and that is human connection. Music